0: Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network.
1: Hello and welcome to Audio Judo. I'm Matthew, and I'm Kyle. How's everybody doing out there? How are you doing this week? You doing all right? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Nice. We are uh, proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network, the premier music podcast network. Pantheon is home to the first HD podcast, Rock and Roll Archaeology, as well as a host of other programs as well. It seems like they are adding new programs every week. Yes. Uh, one of the artists that they have just added is a podcast by legendary album artist Hugh Syme, known for being the graphic artist for Rush for most of their lengthy career. Yes. So
0: We have talked about him a few times. Yes.
1: So my hope is that now he and I are on the same network. Right. I can work out some sort of interview with him. You know, it'd be nice to compare and contrast what he has to say about album art with what uh, we talked about it with Aubrey Powell last year. That would be really cool. So uh, check out those podcasts uh, when you get a chance at PantheonPodcast.com. For us, we are nearing our release for our spin-off podcast series, yes. Audio Judo Does Jazz. That will be coming out later this month. And if uh, you were ever looking for a way to get into jazz but never knew where to start, I think you may find this series both fun and informative. Uh, Your jazz spirit guide, Chris, will take you on a journey from Miles Davis to John Coltrane and all the stops in between, and we hope that you will join us. Uh, Also, we're going to be recording that on the award-winning Podcasters Kit by AKG. If you're looking into getting into podcasting yourself, check that kit out. You get a state-of-the-art mic, headphones, software to get you going. Uh, You get that at akg.com or Amazon. Uh, You'll be able to find Audio Judo Does Jazz on our website, audiojudo.com, and
0: everywhere else, that podcasts our podcast exactly this, this week, and he's not kidding. Uh, he's not kidding, folks, about that award winning part. Yeah, it really did just win like three different industry awards. Something at uh, Nam. Yes, Nam, Nam, Nam. Yeah, back, back in Nam, back I won a in, bunch of awards back for in being NAM. good at audio. Right? Uh, yeah. So
1: it's serious. Uh, yeah, yeah. We we love the 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 gear. It's pretty amazing. Sounds fantastic.
0: So uh, <laughs> that's just us, <laughs> right? We don't know what we're talking uh, about. Anyway. It uh, doesn't matter what we use. We just sound wonderful.
1: Uh, that's just the it's the uh, the velvety pipes. Also, Randy helps a lot, pretty much. Because uh, actually, Kyle mostly sounds like Harvey Firestein all the time.
0: So this is uh this is me with the filter, and this is me without the filter.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's true. Yeah. It's pretty accurate. So uh, this week, uh, in what has now become a habit for Kyle, he continues to pick an album that is a long uh, that is longstanding as one of the best albums ever recorded.
0: I'm just going for him. I'm just going for the uh, the hits. A
1: perennial member of the top 100 albums of all time, a record that is both critically revered and commercially loved, it has stood the test of time since 1972. Mm-hmm. We are talking about talking book by stevie wonder indeed i hate you kyle you're welcome uh if i were working right now mm-hmm. uh, there's no way i would be able to get through all the reading i have to do oh yeah. to put an episode like this together so i'm not sure how you're doing it
0: uh very carefully
1: um and i feel like you're doing this just to punish me
0: i am i know that you have all the time in the world right now and so i'm just like what album can i pick that's just gonna take up all of matthew's free time this
1: would the, the, this one this one fits uh, let's
0: let's start talking. Uh, let's start with a little bit of a background on Stevie Wonder. Sure, sure. I mean, not that you necessarily need it, because he's one of the best known artists in the entire world. But, but it helps. Uh, I did not know. I, I was sure that his name was actually Steve. It is a uh, Steve-Land. He was born Steveland Hardaway Judkins in Saginaw, Michigan, on May thirteenth, nineteen fifty. You know
1: anything about Saginaw? Saginaw, Michigan is about a hundred miles northwest of Detroit on the I seventy five corridor. It was primarily an auto parts and factory town in the 50s when Stevie was born, and now is another sad city Mm -hmm. left in the wake of industry. It is blighted and kind of smelly Mm -hmm. because of all the chemicals and shit, and generally, it's not that great a place anymore. Uh, If we have any listeners from the Saginaw area, I don't mean to offend, but I think you are keenly aware that the area has been in decline for a long time now, and it's sad because it is still a gorgeous part of the state, and it just gets a bad rap.
0: That's that's so sad to me. That whole Rust Belt area, everything that's happened with the decline of industry in this country, and yeah. that's a whole I could rant on that for hours. So I'm just going to cut it. Right me there. too. But uh, obviously, one of the most defining things about Stevie Wonder, he is in fact blind. Yes, he was born six weeks premature, and along with the oxygen that, along with the oxygen-rich environment in the hospital incubator, resulted in a condition called retinopathy of prematurity. Uh, in which the growth of the eyes is stunted and causes the retinas to detach. So he's essentially been blind f- from birth. Yes. P- slightly post-birth.
1: Yes. yes. So do you have more? Yeah, you got I more? I do. My- oh, yeah, go, dude, go. I got a whole page Oh, this. whoa, whoa, whoa.
0: Uh, age of four, his mother, uh, Lula May, uh, at the time, her name was Lula Mae Judkins, divorced his father, Calvin Judkins, and moved with her three kids to Detroit, Matthew's hometown. uh uh-huh uh stevie sang in a choir at the whitestone baptist church there for several years Uh, lula changed her name back to lula hardway and later changed her son's name to morris so it is a steveland hardway morris Mm -hmm. Uh, he began playing instruments at a young age including piano harmonica and drums Uh, he started his first band at a young age with his friend john Uh, they called themselves stevie and john and they sang on street corners and sometimes at dances and parties and things to make a little bit of extra cash as a child, he attended uh, Fitzgerald Elementary School, which was sadly closed in 2012, but the building is still there. It's a cool-looking building. I saw it on Google Maps. Like like many
1: Detroit buildings, they are closed, yet still stand, and, yes. and become a haven for homeless and for squatters and stuff like that. Again, just blight on the Rust Belt. It's just More a, sadness. Yeah, it's, uh, it's too bad.
0: So in uh, 1961, at age 11, he wasn't yet called Stevie Wonder, but uh, at the time... Uh, He sang his own composition called The Lonely Boy to Ronnie White of the band The Miracles. Uh, White then took Wonder and his mom to an audition at Motown, where uh, good old Barry Gordy signed Stevie Wonder to Motown's uh, Tamala label.
1: Do you mean legendary producer and notorious ripoff artist Barry Gordy? Indeed I do, sir. So for those that don't know, Motown was located in the heart of Detroit on Mm -hmm. West Grand Boulevard in a very nondescript two-story home. That house still sits there as a museum to Motown with a sign up front that says Hitsville, USA. It was based there, Motown was, from 1957 to 1968. And I say rip-off artist because Stevie Wonder was paid the royal sum <laughs> of $2.50 per week until he was 21 and he mm. could have his royalties. The good news
0: is he got... Past that. Yes. So uh, he also got the name at the time of that he signed. Uh, Clarence Paul, the producer, gave him the name Little Stevie Wonder. Little Stevie Wonder. Because he was a little wonder. Just in case anybody wants to know as well, $2.50 in 1961 is the equivalent of $21.64 per week today. Correct. So Really
1: raking it in for the hits. Yeah.
0: He released his first album in 1962 at only age 12. Mm-hmm. The Jazz Soul of Little Stevie is what that's called. His first recordings for the label were not incredibly commercially successful, and because of that, in uh, the end of 1962, which was 59 years ago, uh, when he was only 12 years old, he joined the Motown Review, touring the Chitlin circuit of theaters across America that accepted black artists. Mm. That means that there were places in the United States where black artists were not allowed to perform. Oh, yeah. that is. I, I think about that kind of stuff all the time when this comes yeah, up. Yeah, you say 59, it's probably more like 54, 53 yeah. When that actually ended. Yes. But, I mean, this this was 59 years ago. This was within a living person's memory that it was still segregated. There was still that racial divide in America. And yep. that, to me, like, every time I hear those numbers, for some reason, so many people seem to think of, like, oh, the history, that is so far in the past. It's not that far. Those wounds are still pretty fresh. <laughs> they are very fresh. It was not that long ago. Yeah. But uh, I think about that every time I see those numbers. <clears throat> yeah. I, for some reason, my dad is always the one that pops into my head. How can you not, though?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's relevant. Uh, so what? So through the 60s, Stevie Wonder released record after record, recording hits for himself, like My Sharia Moore.
0: He did uh, his very first single, or his, I'm sorry, his very first hit was the song Fingertips. Fingertips, uh, From yeah. 1963.
1: Uh, recorded "Signed, Sealed, Delivered, I'm Yours. Mm-hmm. And for he wrote for other people, like Smokey Robinson. He wrote the hit uh, T- Tears of a Clown, um, which I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know that he wrote that.
0: Yeah, He wrote a lot of songs for Motown, uh, other Motown artists. Sadly, he was not doing commercially well, and the label almost considered dropping him once his contract was up at age 21. But uh, a woman named uh, Sylvia Moy, who was the first female producer at Motown, uh, convinced Barry Gordy to give him another chance. So they dropped the, uh, the little from his name, so he just became a Stevie Wonder, and he and Moy uh, worked on the hit Uptight, Everything's Alright, mm-hmm. uh, became a huge hit. He also, like I was saying, wrote uh, all those songs that you just said for other artists, as well as re- he released a, a, a jazz soul album called uh, Yvette's Red Now, yeah, which is uh, Stevie Wonder backwards. He scored a bunch of hits in the 60s. Uh, I was made to love her for once in my life. Science delivered, like you said. Yep. Uh, my Sharia Moore, like you said, a bunch of others. This next fact absolutely blew my mind. Go on. So he obviously began to get a little bit unhappy with what was going on at Motown. And uh, when his contract came up, he left went off, made two records on his own. Mm -hmm. He let that contract expire on his 21st birthday on May 13th, 1971 at 21 years old. So at 21 years old, he walked away from a contract that was paying him shit, but was with arguably one of the biggest record companies in the world. Oh yeah. He had to know he was a musical genius.
1: Well, yeah. He had to know, right? We're going to get to some of this ridiculousness. I mean, Talking Book is the 15th studio album for Stevie Wonder. By the way, When this was released in October '72, he was 22 years old. Mm -hmm. I repeat, in case you weren't paying attention, this was his 15th studio album at at the age age of of 22. That that's crazy. But so around this time, 1970, he got Mm -hmm. married to uh, Cyrita Wright, fellow songwriter and also a secretary at Motown Records. Around this time, he started to get involved in synthesizers and also wanted to write more socially conscious lyrics after a scathing review in Rolling Stone called his last solo record cluttered and self-indulgent and undistinguished and pretentious lyrics. The artist of the day at that time was Marvin Gaye, and this was coming in the wake of uh, what Rolling Stone has called the number one album of all time, What's Going On? So he was determined to change the scope and style of his music at this point. And this album comes out a mere six months after his last album, Music
0: of My Mind. These two albums together are considered the beginning of his classical period.
1: Very classic period. Classic period, yeah. Not
0: classical, classic period. Like you said, he, he completely changed his style, started making very culturally relevant music.
1: So what you're seeing here, you know, what I see here, you're starting to see an artist growing up in front of your eyes and ears. Like I mentioned before, 15th album at the age of 22. He's newly married, living through the 60s and early 70s in Detroit. That in itself would mature you to some degree. So Detroit was ablaze during those years, literally and figuratively. (laughs) The riots took place in July 1967. That was the longest, bloodiest, costliest riot in the United States since the Civil War, and was only surpassed in its brutality and destruction by the riots of L.A. in 1992. Wow. At the end of it, 43 people were dead, 1,100 injured, 7,200 arrested, 2,000 buildings were destroyed. (sighs) It was a black eye on the city that sent it down its path that it really still hasn't recovered from. So a ton of songs were written about it, from Marvin Gaye, you know, Gordon Lightfoot, to David Bowie, to The Temptations. And while Wonder has never specifically said that any of the songs were about that particular event, it's hard to believe that his lyrics and his worldview or his outlook on things like race relations were not somehow influenced by what he lived through around that time. I've heard stories through the years from my parents and relatives and it's hard to not be influenced by those events even if I didn't live through them. Yeah. My family lived in the suburbs about 10 miles from where it was all happening and even they were on lockdown with martial law being imposed through the area. So I can only imagine how he must have felt, you know, grappling with that growing into marriage that soon fall apart, trying to get out of a shitty contract, all went into making this album, right? And the first sense that you get, the sense of that he's becoming a different artist is the album cover. Yes. And that's right away, like, this is something very different.
0: It is a super rare picture of Stevie Wonder with no glasses on. Right. Uh, He specifically did not ever take pictures without them. It is him sitting in the desert next to some dead plants, wearing... It's got a velvet caftan. That's okay. That's I'm glad you knew an actual word for yeah. it, because I did not. I couldn't find it. Velvet calf, what that was caftan, called.
1: and a beaded necklace, and his, he's got cornrows. Yeah. And while it is a fairly ordinary photograph, it's the other things that are included that make the difference. The title of the record, as well as some of the liner notes within the record, are done in Braille. Mm-hmm. There's also a message embossed on the artwork from Stevie Wonder that says, Here is my music. It is all I have to tell you how I feel. Know that your love keeps my love. Or keeps me strong, I think, you know, I think that's so cool. Like I've mentioned, we've mentioned, I've mentioned so many times before on the show, I have a passion for album artwork and the ability to marry visuals and music. And there's simply no way that this would be possible in a digital format. No. The ability to pick up a record in 1972 and feel the record for the Braille and then feel the record for the music held within is simply not a possibility the way the industry is set up now, yeah. and those tactile connections are lost, and so is some of the heart that used to be so vital to the music and how we as fans interacted with it. So you got vital statistics?
0: How hard this is? Uh, I do have some vital statistics. Okay. So uh, the only information I could find about who took the picture, uh, the package design by Matthew Biton. Uh, Matthew Biton. Uh, who I I was like, oh, I'm sure this is somebody. You know, I'm not going to find this person. Yes, he is, and he is a hugely accomplished photographer. He has photographed so many, so many famous artists that I couldn't count. Um, and he has a, a beautiful catalog of work. And I will try to remember to put a link to his biography in the show notes, <laughs> which means Matthew, please remember to make a note to tell me to put Matthew's. Link I'm writing it in down right now. About this album, though, the good news is it was fairly successful. Number three on the Billboard 200 albums uh, year-end 1972, peaked at number three on the Billboard Top LPs chart, You Are the Sunshine of My Life, the single hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100, and on the Billboard Easily Listening chart. Uh, superstition also reached on the billboard hot 100 and billboard hot soul singles uh you are the sunshine of my life won uh stevie wonder his first grammy for best male pop vocal performance superstition also won best male r&b vocal performance and best r&b song at the same grammy ceremony stevie wonder's next album inner visions won album of the year and talking books associate producers malcolm cecil and robert miauguleff I hope that's how it's pronounced, won the Best Engineered Album Non-Classical Award for their work on that album. Mm -hmm. So to say that he swept the Grammys is a little bit of an understatement. This album is called Talking Book because Wonder considers the songs uh, akin to chapters in a book that tell a whole story. Uh, But do you know what a talking book is? No. So back in the 1930s, Congress passed a law to provide uh, access to reading materials for people who are blind. And it started out with the idea that all books have to have a Braille copy of them printed. Really? Yes. So any book that's published in the United States has to make available a Braille copy. I did not know that. Yeah. On top of that, they later on started to get into audiobooks as an alternative to that. Mm -hmm. Meaning that... Books on tape. Books on tape, basically. However, the name for those originally was Talking Books. Um, originally, obviously pressed on vinyl because it was the technology that they had at the time. Mm-hmm. They adopted tapes really early on. Uh, and in fact, the idea of a, a small format cassette tape started in the audiobook world because you didn't necessarily had to have well, have to have high quality cuz it wasn't music and it's it, portable. Exactly. It was very portable. There was a program through the US government, uh I believe it was through the Library of Congress to get uh books on tape and uh, audiobooks that continued in cassette format all the way until 2007-2008. Mm, wow. After that, they switched to digital. And there's a a device that uh it's the version of it that I have seen in real life is kind of a dumb device because you have to pair it with a computer and you still have to check books out like you would at a library to the device. Mm -hmm. But once you do, you can do all kinds of things like you can uh, speed up or slow down the speed at which the person reading the book reads. Oh,
1: okay. So it's like a prompter.
0: Kind of. Yeah. Yeah, You can, you you can leave bookmarks so you can drop a bookmark into it and then come back to it later. You can skip through chapters and stuff and it's all on a device. Uh, I would say it's, a little bit smaller than a dinner plate. Mm. Um, it has a speaker and usually two headphone jacks. It's blue and gray. May ask you a question. Gray.
1: Do you have to be blind to get one of these?
0: I don't know if you do. I would assume to get one for f- free or low cost, you probably I do. see. All
1: right. It sounds like something I would enjoy.
0: Yes, they're interesting devices. Uh, I saw one at a university library one time, and I was like, "What is that?" I, it beats and the then hell I started, out of. Like, I started playing with it, and the librarian was like, "Stop that! That's for blind people." <laughs> beats the hell was out of like, a I'm slinging song. a
1: record player on your back and walking right? around with that.
0: Uh, other interesting facts about this album: uh, weirdly, I could not figure out if this has, album has gone platinum. I don't think that it has. I don't think it has uh, either. It's gone gold in the UK, mm-hmm. but uh, has not gone platinum. You want to go into the track by track? Sure, let's do it. You are the sunshine of my life. Oh, that's so sweet. Oh, that's Uh, so nice of
1: you. It's just a super simple, beautiful song to get the record started. Yes. Second single from the record Mm -hmm. became his third Number one song and his first song to top the easy, easy listening chart as well. Mm-hmm. Uh won a Grammy Award, like you said, for Best Male Pop Vocal Performance of the Year, as well as being nominated for Record of the Year and Song of the Year. Also number 287 on the top 500 songs of all time. Mm. I questioned the reviewer who called it a soft, haunting ballad. Mm. Soft, yes. Haunting, not so much.
0: It begins the... um. This sort of flip flop on this album. Almost every song on here is about either falling in love or breaking up. Falling out of love, yeah. I like
1: it because other than the clavinet, mm-hmm. which is used extensively on this album, yes, and not used on this song, you get a nice flavor for the record and how his voice has matured, yeah, to this point. So, uh, Wonder played the drums and the Fender Rhodes. Which is really nice. That Fender Rhodes is great. Yeah. The song is also short, unusual in its structure. Instead of starting with a verse, it starts with the chorus straight away. And that chorus is not even sung by Stevie Wonder.
0: It's uh, Jim Gilstrap. Yeah. Uh, Lanny Groves sings the next two songs after the first line.
1: uh, Jim Gilstrap, one of the most prolific session voices in the industry. Yes. Sung backup for numerous artists, most widely known for singing the theme song from the 1970s, Norman Lear sitcom, Good times. a good song uh and also th- uh sang the theme song from the cartoon tailspin ah oh. female voice like you said is uh lonnie groves her resume is also extensive uh i got a- about halfway into reading it and decided i would just say she sang with everybody
0: <laughs> gloria barley also does some uh backup vocals on this as well
1: i really love how active the uh, the percussion gets towards the end of the song oh yeah without there actually being a driving beat underneath it's a- just a really unique song for or u- unique sound for such a simple
0: song. Yeah. Um, well, here's here's a little clip of uh, uh, the oh, end yeah, of let this me song. Hear it. Yeah.
1: You must have known that I was lonely, <laughs> because you came to my rescue, ooh, 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 ooh. and I know that this must be heaven. Oh, I could so much love.
0: We were just commenting that uh, while we were listening to that clip, how there's a few little uh, Michael Jackson.
1: <laughs> there's definitely <laughs> influence from Stevie to Michael. Oh, yeah. This song, regularly used on videos for kids and at weddings and things like that. This is my mom's se- second favorite song of his. Her favorite was I Just Called to Say I Love You. And her favorite album is Songs in the Key of Life, which is a great freaking record. Um, and it's a really special, I think it's a really special song for parents, uh, because well, I'm pretty sure it was written as a love song. It works better for me as a song from a parent to a kid. Uh, something about that you are the apple of my eye, forever you'll be in my heart, just uh, really gets to me. It's very yeah. resonates v- very strongly.
0: I can see that.
1: Uh, one more thing uh, of note for this song: if you read the liner notes, it lists the musicians for each song, and mm-hmm. on this uh, this one, it says horns unknown. Hmm. So I guess maybe you should write that shit down. No credit for the horn section. Sorry, guys. Too bad a horn. Oh, sorry. You don't get anything.
0: Who's unknown? Right? I don't know that guy. Uh, Is it un and then capital K known? Known. His last name is known. Hmm. Interesting. You period known. This is such a fun song uh, and it's so like upbeat and it's such a good way to begin this album. It's a fun song to listen to in headphones. I don't know if they used uh, like some kind of processing effects or if it's a, a Leslie, but it's the sound kind of reverberates from left to right.
1: Oh yeah, it bounces around. It sounds really cool. It does sound like a Leslie. Yeah, I didn't didn't even notice that until you mentioned it just now. Yeah,
0: hmm. I I had listened to this album many times, and until I actually put on a set of headphones and focused listening to it, I was like, oh wow, that's weird. It it flip flops back and forth, left right, left right, left right, so or right left, right left right left,
1: or left right, left right, up down, up down. Oh no, that's something else. Yeah.
0: Maybe your baby knows what that is. Now you go from a a short
1: three-minute piece to a seven-minute blitz of a song. And it
0: it is
1: funky. Yeah, Stevie plays every instrument on this song, with the exception of the electric guitar. That instrument is played by a young guitarist named Ray Parker
0: Jr. I believe at this point he was very afraid of ghosts.
1: Oh, see, and from what I hear about that guy, he ain't. Oh. Afraid of no ghost. All right, that's what I, oh. that's what I understand.
0: Uh, do, do you get more about him?
1: No. Oh, that's
0: it. We just know that he, he's just not, may afraid, or may of not afraid of any ghosts. Yeah.
1: Steve Wonder plays the drums and the clavinet and the moog bass, and all of a sudden the sound is different. The blues and the funk have taken over. Oh yeah, and it's so great. It's dirty, nasty, and freaking fantastic. I'm hearing like a ton of stuff that would be hallmarks of Lenny Kravitz. Yes. On this, and a little bit of Michael Jackson-type stuff, that there's some t hees in the back and stuff that MJ would adopt in, the, in his later years. I don't think there's any way to deny that he had influence on Michael Jackson. They were both in Motown at this time, but this seems much more organic than the later variety. While I can't stand when a song repeats and repeats and repeats the same line, it works here, mm-hmm. because there's so much great stuff going on around it, uh, the guitar work is not at all what I thought Ray Parker could do. (laughs) It's so shitty that, you know, your whole legacy gets defined by a movie song. But he's a really good guitar player. Yeah. So I don't know if I could say that it's my favorite song on this record, but uh, it is for sure the song that I listened to the most hmm. when I was prepping for this episode. All right, it's, uh, it's a,
0: another in the uh, same theme of this album, though. It's uh, Stevie Wonder's worrying that his lover is cheating on him. Yeah, that keeps coming back. Yeah, I feel like there was some marital issues going on. I think you might be right.
1: Uh, I think we get more of that later down the road of this record. Yeah, but it's it's pretty evident. Things aren't that great.
0: It's already been one about how we love each other and one about how I think you're cheating on me. Only two tracks in, folks.
1: Side note, Hmm. uh, Stevie Wonder name checks Little Sally Walker in the Bridge. Ooh. Um, I had to look that one up. Apparently, it's a game uh, similar to Musical Chairs with someone sitting in the middle singing while people walk in a circle. So there's no music playing. Someone's just singing, and that person is Little Sally Walker. So I didn't know that I had to look it up never heard of it before but jesus it's such a great freaking song right it's so great you got more on this song? no that's about it that's it you don't have any more well you know what we should do we should take a break
0: Uh, that sounds like a good idea we will uh, be right back
1: kyle yes have you ever uh, felt like you wanted to try something new like, oh boy. like cooking or basket weaving. Yes. But you didn't know where to start. Mm,
0: that's like I a, do
1: usually have trouble starting. Like you needed a roadmap or a guide. Yeah. A lot of people feel like that about jazz music. Ah. So, you know, they don't know where to start. It seems too complex. Do I start with the uh, fusion or big band or the legends? I I know I feel like that personally. It
0: is a very deep and, and rich subject with uh, a lot of places you could start.
1: All right. So, well... We here at Audio Judo have something mm-hmm. to fix all that. And with the help of our guest host and jazz spirit guide, Chris, we're going to help uh, try and help you navigate the treacherous waters of listening to jazz. Uh, we will be premiering a new spin-off podcast series called Audio Judo Does Jazz in late April. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to be fun, interesting. I'm looking forward to it. We're also recording that bad boy exclusively with the new podcaster kit from AKG? Yes. Chris doesn't have any experience in podcasting, so we wanted to make it as easy as possible for the person who doesn't have studio equipment or editing headphones or anything like that. So this podcaster's kit is perfect. He gets a cool mic, set of headphones, software, bingo, blango, he's podcasting. Yeah. All that means is more competition for us, so we have to bring our A-game because everyone is going to be podcasting soon.
0: The only thing I didn't like about it is uh, since Chris is using it, I can't steal it.
1: No, you can't steal That's it. That's
0: unfortunate, so... Uh... It's a shame we had to send it to Chris.
1: Yeah, he's he's going to make the most of it. Yeah, like I said, look for that series in late April. Yes, because we are super jazzed about it. (laughs) Oh, oh.
0: dad, wordplay. Matthew, you and I, we can conquer the world. Missed again. You missed it again. That sucks. That's. uh, I was going to do the same thing. Shooting right in there.
1: So this is probably the most. Played song at weddings. Oh, for sure. In the 1970s. From what I can gather, it was mandatory at every single hall from that area. I think it's contractually obligated.
0: I would believe that. They probably had to purchase the vinyl legally. <laughs> probably no
1: surprise. It was the wedding song for former president and first lady, Barack and Michelle Obama. Uh, Wonder plays all the instruments on the song, and there really isn't that much music on it anyway it's vocals, piano, Moog, bass, and something that is called the Tonto hmm. synthesizer. Tonto is an acronym for the Original New Timbral Orchestra. It is the first and still the largest multi-timbral polyphonic analog synthesizer in the world, designed and constructed over several years by Malcolm Cecil. Uh, Malcolm Cecil was one of the founding members of the experimental music group Tonto's Expanding Headband, (laughs) of which Stevie Wonder was a huge fan. Uh, they were very influential in providing him a lot of this gear and ideas, which would become a significant portion of what his sound eventually would become. Cecil was also an associate producer, engineer, and co- occasional programmer on this album as well. What do you know about the Tonto?
0: Oh, dude, it is, uh, it's is—it's a fascinating instrument. Uh, it started out as a, a Moog modular synthesizer Series 3 that was owned by record producer Robert uh, Margaleff. Later, a second Moog 3 was added. Uh, then four Oberheim SEMs, two ARP 2600s, uh, modules from a uh, Surge with Moog like panels, an EMS, a Roland, uh, a Yamaha, uh, bits and pieces from all over the place were added to this giant instrument, uh, plus several custom modules designed by uh, Serge Tecker, Teker- I can never pronounce his name. Teckerpinen? and uh, Cecil himself, who had an electrical engineering background. How big is this thing? This is huge. It is 20 feet wide. It's a huge semicircular device that you sit inside of to play. It's 20 feet wide, six feet tall
1: you put some pictures in the, in the show will put notes? I some
0: pictures in the show notes. I was showing you that one earlier. Yeah, that's... Uh... And you literally... There's some pictures of Cecil. I'm pretty sure it's Cecil. And he looks like Doc Brown from Back to the Future. He has just white hair. <laughs> this, <laughs> and he's wearing like white overalls. And he looks like he's all nuts. I'll, I'll see if I can find those pictures again and put them in the show so notes. So 20 feet by 6 feet just to go... Murk, 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 exactly. keyboards. Yes. Well, that seems like overkill, but yeah. okay. Weirdly enough... The first time I had seen this instrument was not in doing research for this, uh, for this album. Uh, it actually appears in uh, Brian De Palma's 1974 movie, uh, Phantom of the Paradise. Have you ever seen I'm not, it? Uh,
1: no, I'm not familiar with it.
0: It's sort of a, a, a retelling of a Phantom of the Opera, but it's set in a, a failing theater in the 70s. Mm. Uh, it's a very interesting, a little bit avant-garde movie that has a lot of musicians involved with it. And the music is very, very memorable from it from it. I feel like we
1: did like a did we do like a judo chop on something similar to this like we uh did. Raymond uh, Scott. Raymond
0: Scott uh was also an inventor of a lot of electronic instruments and for that matter uh Conlon Nancarrow. Oh, uh, yeah. He was a, a a composer who did a whole bunch of uh uh player piano pieces.
1: Yeah, you guys uh, can only hear those if you sign up for the Patreon. Yes, you can. More on that later.
0: But uh yeah, the uh, the tonto appears in Phantom of the Paradise. Oh. So you can see it there as the oh, not as the phantom Instead of an or- organ, he's playing the tonto he's not playing his organ he's not playing with his organ he's ah, playing with the tonto I see which is i'm sure somebody's nickname for their organ <laughs> so be- because this is such a su- successful ballad
1: from the 70s it only stands to reason that uh, it'd be covered by just about everybody from back then like barbara streisand babs and joe cocker right up to present day artists like mariah carey and Michael uh, michael uh Buble.
0: Buble. it's
1: an excellent song but i'm surprised that it was uh, it was never a single for him yeah, that it's is kind of, a popularity, weird, it's kind of
0: a weird choice, but
1: uh, eh, whatever. Get Tuesday Heartbreak from that. You might, because it's not a single. What's weird is that every time I listen to this album, I feel like Superstition should be my favorite groove, mm-hmm. the best groove on Reputation alone, but it isn't. This one is. It is so good. The melody is fantastic. As you know, Kyle, I'm not a big proponent of the saxophone. Drew, I was in, just about
0: to ask you about that. In
1: rock music, but I feel like it has a place in uh, jazz and R&B. Uh, like this song. And the saxophone on this song is provided by one David Sanborn. Once again, his resume reads like a who's who in music. Oh my God. Let's yes. Play it with does. everyone,
0: one numerous Grammys. Do you have the list? I have
1: a list. Do you have a list? All right, <clears> let, let, let her rip.
0: Let's see if I can do this. <clears throat> James Brown, Brian Ferry, Michael Stanley, Eric Clapton, Bobby Charles, Cat Stevens, Roger Daltrey, CB Wonder, Paul Simon, Jacob Pistorius, The Brecker Brothers, Michael Franks, Kenny Loggins, Cassiopeia Players, Association David, Bowie Todd, Rundgren. Bruce Springsteen Little Feet Tommy Bolin Bob James James Taylor Al Jarreau, Pure Prairie League Kenny G London Wainwright III George Benson Joe Beck Donnie Hathaway Elton John Gil Evans Carly Simon Guru Linda Ronstadt Billy Joel Kenny Garrett Roger Waters Steely Dan Ween The Eagles The Grateful Dead Nana Uteta Hikaru The Rolling Stones Ian Hunter to- And Toto Did you say Ween? Ween
1: He's yeah. played with Ween He played
0: with Ween? With Ween well, That's an odd choice for <sighs> him I had to take a breath there.
1: Hey, if you're curious, though, anybody out there, uh, uh, Pantheon Podcast Network has a Ween only, yes, like a podcast that's just about Ween. You should check that out. But anyway, Ween, he played with
0: Ween, he played with Ween, apparently.
1: That's weird. Also, if there's any, uh, mu- uh, movie trivia people, David Sanborn is also the saxophone player playing on the street in Scrooged with Bill Murray, uh, with Miles Davis and Paul Schaefer. He walks by and, uh, And he says, you know, steal from the Hicks, why don't you? Keeps walking, but that's David Sanborn, kind of dressed up like a bum, playing the sax. (laughs) Uh, Other than the sax, Stevie, once again, plays all the instruments on this song. Uh, The only other musician besides Sanborn is a backup singer. Her name is Denise Williams. She's another artist that would gain solo acclaim many years later for her number one song, Let's Hear It for the Boy, released in 1985. Uh, She won four Grammys, was also nominated for 13, which is impressive. I had no idea.
0: That, uh, that high note she hit in, she hits in that song. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's crazy. That's
1: nuts. Uh, one thing is for certain, though, he does not surround himself with chumps.
0: No. No, he does
1: not. Uh, like many of the artists we cover on this show, when you dig a little deeper into the people they work with, it makes a huge difference on the overall quality of the sound in the project. It's amazing.
0: You've got it bad for Stevie Wonder, don't you? I got it bad, girl. You got it bad, girl. I do.
1: You've got it bad, girl. No, amazing, you got it bad, no, girl. You got it bad. No. Another amazing groove on this song. Just so smooth. And uh it wasn't written by him. No, Yvonne Wright uh wrote this entire song. Uh she also wrote the closer yes. of the record. Co wrote um, the closer. Co wrote. The melody is hers, but the groove, the instrumentation, and the lyrics are all Stevie Wonder. And he adds that little bit, just that little bit of funk to it. Uh one of my favorite parts of this song uh is the triplet figure used throughout. Uh, Bop, 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 bop. It's very smart, very intriguing. Also, this is one of the songs that allows Wonder to show what an accomplished drummer he is. I had no idea (laughs) going into this research. My whole life, I thought he was just behind the keyboards and the piano. Uh, I was overjoyed to learn that he is playing drums on most of this, if not all of the record, and that he gets more respect now for that. Uh, We should also mention uh, there's some mighty fine conga playing. On this song,
0: Daniel Ben Zebulon, the best name ever. It's a great name. And it's if, such a good name.
1: If that name does not sound familiar to most music fans, his actions will. Uh, if a lot of our listeners are familiar with the film of Woodstock, he can be seen flailing on the conga, sweating like a madman on the opening set of the festival with Richie Havens. Um, he was amazing. He's also played with Bee Gees, a bunch of other artists. I figured he deserves a little shout out, yeah, love as well.
0: Absolutely. All the artists on this deserve a shout out. We're going to flip this over? Let's flip this album over. Possibly to what might be Stevie Wonder's most famous song, best known song,
1: Superstition. Mm. The defining song for the era. Yes. And for Stevie Wonder. What does it sound like? It
0: sounds a little bit like this at the beginning. There you Now that the three drunken white guys are done uh, chair dancing to that song, (laughs) let's talk about it a little bit. All right. Uh, The holer clavinet is that funky instrument that you hear at the beginning, that Mm -hmm. bom-bom-bom-bom-bom-bom, and this is considered the best example of the sound from that instrument. It's a legendary sound. It is an absolutely iconic, the second you hear that, it starts out with those drums that just create a beat, and then the second you hear that bom-bom-bom-bom, you immediately know this song. Like I don't care who you are. You already have this song in your head. Do you know the story behind the recording? A little bit.
1: Why don't you uh, talk about it? As the story goes, it was originally a collaboration between guitarist Jeff Beck and Stevie Wonder. Oh. Jeff Beck was a big, huge fan of Stevie Wonder's and wanted to record something with him. So Beck sat behind the drums and laid a beat down. And Wonder quickly wrote the melody and riff that you hear while they jammed. And the demo was laid down. That... Day. Amazing. Once again, these things are apparently just floating around in the ether, and it takes these geniuses a moment to snare it. No laboring over parts and melodies for days and days. I'm looking at you, Fleetwood Mac. (laughs) They just sit down and jam, and boom! One of the most iconic songs of all time. So Stevie decided that he would record the song for the record with Beck and allow Beck to release it on his upcoming Supergroup album with Tim Bogert and Carmen Apeace. Mm-hmm. that album got held up in production. Barry Gordy was convinced that it was going to be a huge hit, so he fast tracked the single. Beck would eventually play lead guitar on another song later on this record. You have more.
0: Oh, just I was going to say, you know, if you are, you keep saying uh, Jeff Beck. Yeah. Uh, uh, in case you have not heard of Jack, Jeff Beck, very famous guitar player. Uh, he was in a band called the Yardbirds.
1: I took for granted that people would know, but you're right. right. You're uh, right. Uh,
0: he replaced some uh, no name guitarist, uh, Eric. I, I hope Eric. I'm not sure how this is pronounced. Eric Clapton? Clapton. Uh, some no-name dude. Nobody's ever heard Nobody of him before. Heard. I, uh, I don't know who he is. Uh, Jeff Beck replaced him in the Yardbirds, and then he got bored with them, and he and he left, uh, and was replaced by some other weird no-name. Uh, Jimmy G- Page. Jimmy,
1: Jimmy Page. Jimmy
0: Page. Never heard of him. Never heard of don't him. Don't know that guy either. Yeah, just two useless guitar players with Jeff Beck in the middle. <clears throat> Obviously, I'm being facetious. What? Please don't send me hate mail. <laughs> now, if you're listening to this for the first time
1: in 1972, you are obviously blown away. You have never heard anything like this before. It's got to be earth shattering. Oh yeah. That clavinet sound is legendary. But if you never heard the single, right, and you were listening to this album in sequence, as I was for this research, you have already heard that clavinet. Yes. So you're kind of used to it. The part that ends up really standing out to me are the horns. That riff that the horns play is just as iconic as the clavinet. Yeah, I and would agree. And there's only two horn players. Mm-hmm. Trevor Lawrence plays a tenor sax. Steve Medaio plays trumpet. And it's my favorite part of the song. Absolutely favorite part of the song. Like, hates
0: hates the saxophone, loves the horns.
1: Right. I and and I love the clavinet. I do love the clavinet sound. But if you're l- listening to it in order, mm-hmm. I'm I'm used to it. Well, and it's a great sound. But when those horns punch in and That counter melody to what he's doing, it's just, it's a perfect marriage. So it's no wonder that the song reached number one in the Billboard Top 100, as well as number one on the Soul chart. Rolling Stone would rank it as the 74th greatest song of all time. So uh, this song would gain new life in the 1980s when blues guitarist Stevie Ray Vaughan recorded this, uh, his own version. Uh, And that song gets played all the time still on classic rock radio and has appeared on Vaughan's numerous greatest Hits collections. One version of the song I've yet to track down is from 1989 when Stevie Wonder and Stevie Ray Vaughn performed it together
0: Ooh. on an MTV
1: special. So it's on YouTube, but the quality is kind of shitty. Yeah. Um, but I would really like to, I'd love to hear a really nice mixed version of that performance.
0: I feel like, uh, we may have skipped over the end of the, uh, the Jeff Beck story. Did we? uh, Oh yeah. You got more. So yeah, he, uh, obviously they, they worked on it together and, and Stevie Wonder was going to let him record it. And Barry Gordy said, no, it's going to be a huge hit. Right. Stevie Wonder put it on this album. Uh, Jeff Beck then went to the, was being interviewed and said some not as pleasant things about, about Stevie Wonder, uh, putting the, basically putting this song on his album. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, And they kind of had a little bit of
1: bad blood. Oh, yeah, I did. I left that out.
0: Uh, But in 1975, Beck uh, released an instrumental version of Wonders because we've ended as lovers on his album Blow by Blow, uh, which that album was a hit. And it helped uh, sort of repair their relationship and as well as solidify Beck's uh, stature Mm. as an elite guitarist. Uh, He also did record a version of this song. Uh, in December 1972 with bass player uh, Tim Bogert and drummer uh, Carmine Appice uh they recorded uh, as Beck Bogert and Appice mm-hmm. and while their album did well this version of the song was hardly noticed so it's not that great no.
1: for how uh stellar all three of those musicians are yeah. it's just kind of flat it's like but it's hard to compare that i mean this one version two versions because Steve Ray Vaughan's version of it is Fantastic. But it's a completely different take on the song. They've replaced, basically eliminated the clavinet yeah. and replaced it with a blues guitar instead of Beck's kind of rock jazz guitar. So yeah. totally different take on it.
0: One other thing I have to mention about this, because I know that a lot of people that are my age and probably your age too, oh boy, were introduced to this song on Sesame Street.
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh,
0: Very famously, uh, Stevie Wonder performed this song live, you know, obviously they recorded it, for uh, 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 an episode of Sesame Street's uh, fourth season that aired in 1973. And it is a wonderful performance. Not only does it sound really good and it's a great musical performance, there's a very diverse cast there. and. Yeah, it's it's one. It's very it's perfect Sesame Street. It's perfectly on message for what Sesame Street was about about uh, bringing people together acceptance. And, and acceptance yeah. and and it's it's wonderful. I'm going to put a link to that in the it's show. Okay, notes. if
1: you're in the garbage, Oscar, right? It's all right?
0: Yeah, we, we don't care. We don't care. There is a kid in the background of this music video who is absolutely having the time of his life uh, so Stevie Wonder's on set, man. Right. That's so cool. It's uh it's very good. And I will rem- this is one I'm gonna I'm gonna remember on my own. How come that this shit doesn't go there. on anymore?
1: Or uh, does it? Because
0: does it? well, because uh, uh HBO bought the rights to Sesame Street Fuckers. and corporatized it. Yeah, motherfuckers. Right? Oops. You know who else is a motherfucker? That got out of hand. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh Big Brother? Big Brother. Is, is a motherfucker. Is a bona fide Stevie Wonder protest song. Yes, and it's all Stevie Wonder. Everything on this song is Stevie Wonder. Socially aware funk mm-hmm. works so well. Uh, has this acoustic feel like a la Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. Another clavinet part, but this time it sounds like a guitar that's being finger picked. There's some harmonica in there, of which he's playing all of these things. Yes. Uh, lyrics are obviously inspired by George Orwell's uh, 1984.
0: Yes. And please, for the love of God, people, actually read the book, first of all. And then please go read some of the other. Co-influenced books, and the books that influenced George Orwell to write 1984. What are you saying? I, I'm so fucking sick of hearing a 1984. <laughs> oh, your Big Brother. 1984. Do you, do you know what that actually references? And what it means? Oh, 1984. 94. No, but have you actually read the Yeah, I book? saw the Macintosh commercial. I saw the Macintosh commercial. It's about a lady throwing a big hammer into a screen. <laughs> it's got like a Bill Gates kind of guy on it.
1: But do you know what it's talking about? Yeah, 1984. Yeah, 1984.
0: Yeah, but do you... Nope. It's what? talking about the Macintosh computer. Oh, God. I
1: hate everybody. Yeah, it's uh,
0: it's one of those books, man. That just it, I don't know. I guess it's because I read it too young. Well, people and, just and throw it out. It, but
1: people just throw that out. Yeah,
0: it's become more of a cultural reference than an understanding. Right, of what and it's actually, the, and about.
1: there's even probably more times where it's appropriate appropriate to say, you know, this is actually more reminiscent of Animal Farm, yeah. than 1984. But but 1984, 1984, yeah, 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 man, yeah, yeah, 1984, Cold War. No, 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 no. It's very Marxist. <laughs> oh, what? Boy.
0: Have you read any Marx? Well, no, of course no, not. Of course not. I don't read that shit. It's about as it is about as succinct of protest songs oh, as yeah. there has ever been. This feels—I mean, written in, night, in the night, early seventies. This feels like it could have been written today right? and still fit perfectly, and most likely the grooviest of protest songs.
1: I would imagine. I would say probably true. Yeah, again, he plays everything. Um, do you have a? Do you have a? I got piece? a clip of this. Do you have one. a piece of this?
0: Uh, let's take a listen to this. That's it. Let's hear it.
1: Your name is Osirio. Your
0: name you. is Osirio. I'll change if you vote me in as a president. a of your soul.
1: I live in the ghetto. You just come to visit me round election time. Hi.
0: So good, and the lyrics for the song, just first of all, the, I'll change if you vote for me, vote me in as prez, the president of your soul. Yeah, that is such a like the best title ever. I'm the president, the president of your soul. Of your soul. Second of all, in the first verse, which I did not put a clip on here of, but um, you, your name is Big Brother. You say that you're tired of me protesting children dying every day. My name is nobody, but I can't wait to see your face inside my door holy shit right
1: and i wrote down the next part i wrote down uh my name is secluded we live in a house the size of a matchbox roaches live with us wall to wall
0: like jesus uh, yeah this song Whew. how this doesn't get played at every single how this didn't get played at every single 2020 protest for all the shit that happened
1: and it keeps going so he takes the high vocal melody pushes it way to the front in the mix and it becomes very prominent and it's like whoa because he's got this line by the way, you killed all our leaders. Yeah. This is a beast of a song in three minutes, 33 seconds. It's super dynamic. Like that last part, like you killed all our leaders. Oh, it was referring to uh, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. And yeah. it's like, oh, shit. And you know, washed in this harmonica and all kinds of stuff, you're like, oh, it's a really pretty song. Wait, wait, have you listened to it? Oh, it's about <laughs> 1984. Like, oh, no. No, okay, no it's not. I would like to. Uh, Blame it on the sun, if Ooh, possible.
0: That's a good idea.
1: This is kind of the only time on the record where he loses me a little bit. Really? Yeah. And this song is co-written by his then wife, Cyrita Wright. Uh, the melody is really pretty, but it kind of goes nowhere for me. And it almost feels like he's just delivering this song and not feeling it. I know it's difficult to go from the anger of Big Brother to a sweet song like this, but it's it's just it's just not there. Me.
0: Well, it's a sweet song, but it's yet another breakup song. Uh,
1: <laughs> it's yeah, it's about
0: realizing it might be your own fault that you broke up with somebody. And I honestly did not realize that it was written by his at the time wife. Yeah, so uh and they got divorced that same year. Yeah, so, interesting. Yeah, but mm. you get a little bit of growth
1: by the end of the song. True. Right. So he's blaming everything wrong in his relationships on other things instead of taking responsibility for you know himself. You know his his wife. And him would not be together for much longer after this record was released and so that's it's possible there's some truth in these lyrics um there's a really nice harpsichord part buried way in the mix that i enjoy i do like that but other other than that for me
0: it's a it's an eh. meh meh so you would say you were looking for another pure love oh yeah which is the next song oh i'm not entirely sure what style this song is
1: kind of borders on light jazz easy listening That he would incorporate into his late 70s and 80s sound. And what's this? More or less a full band. Mm Mm-hmm. Bunch of background vocalists and not one, but two guitarists. Right. One is Buzz Featon, played with a lot of artists. a Mm -hmm. session musician, do you have a list there? I've
0: got yet another
1: list. Oh my God. Well, let us have it.
0: Mm-mm. Greg Allman, the Brecker Brothers, Bob Dylan, Aretha Franklin, Michael Franks, Al Jaru, Ricky Lee Jones, Shaka Khan, Dave Koz, Kenny Loggins, Bette Midler, Olivia Newton-John, Wilson Pickett, Dave Sanborn, James Taylor, Stevie Wonder, Etta James, Don McLean, and Dave Weckle. he we play uh, played with Mr. Dave Weckle. Played with Mr. Dave Weckle, who we covered in yet another judo chop. More on that later. More on that later. Uh, he also
1: played with the Paul Butterfield Blues Band Ooh. Uh, at Woodstock. So that's two direct connections Uh, to the Woodstock Festival.
0: That is cool.
1: The other guitarist on this song is one Jeff Beck. So this is the song he appeared on as part of the agreement he made for being able to release his version of Superstition. Uh, His playing is quite evident right away on the song. He has a very distinct style. He plays exclusively with his fingers. I don't think I've ever seen him with a pick. He He finger picks everything. So it stands out. Also, we get a Do It Jeff. From Stevie Wonder during yeah. the guitar solo. So that's such a small thing. But oh my God, I love that so much. We talked about this once before on our third episode ever, when we talked about Led Zeppelin's House of the Holy and the fact that they left a guitar or a, a, a phone ringing in the background. Yeah. Uh, and there's such an authenticity and honesty to that type of stuff. Sure, you could take that out. And you would now. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And it would make it sterile. Leaving in a Do It Jeff just reminds you that these things back then aren't being done in a vacuum, that they are feeling these things when they are happening. They're not just doing take 45 and I'll clean it up in Pro Tools and it'll be great. They're playing right there, loving that music, owning that music and the bips and the bleeps and the shits that go with it. Yeah. That's, Little three word phrase, do it, Jeff, may be my favorite part of the whole album because of that. It's honest and it's real.
0: It's authentic. I
1: love it I I'd, I'd, like, as soon as I heard that, I'm like, oh, damn, that's great.
0: Actually, though, I don't, uh, Randy, I don't like this take of what we're talking about. Could you fix this in Pro Tools?
1: Yeah, can you just clean this up in Pro Tools real quick? Yeah, sure. Okay,
0: great. Cool. Thank you. So, so
1: this song again was written by uh, his then wife, Cy Rita. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't say anywhere. Who did what in the writing? I would like to know that. I would like—did he write the lyrics and she the music? Uh, it would be interesting because there's something looking back with regret and then looking hopeful about the future in here that I think needs resolu- resolution. Yeah, but who knows? You know, I don't know. You know, I'm just saying that it'd be it'd be nice to to know who said what because because of where he's been lyrically throughout the whole record.
0: So I would agree with that. But I believe that wh- when you fall in love, it will be forever. Yes. Wow. That's uh, glad I could finish the much longer portion of the title.
1: Is it me, or does it start out like a Beatles song? Oh,
0: it starts out very much like a Beatles <laughs> song. Uh, this is a, another one co-written by uh, Yvonne Wright, and uh, flips it around. We just had two breakup songs, another love song. Beautiful. It's so beautiful, it though. Is. Uh,
1: and personally, I think this is my favorite vocal performance on the album by Stevie Wonder. I think I would agree with and that. It's wonderful. Uh, and it's not a song that was super familiar to me but when i was listening to it i know i've heard it yeah. and it's like an old friend you know you're like oh i know this i think it, but it sounds like i've heard it a bunch of times but i can't remember yeah. like listening to it
0: well here have a little uh, sample oh okay i believe when i
1: fall in love with you it will be forever i believe when i fall in love Must never end. And with the strength we have won't be erased. When the truth of love are plan and firm, they won't be hard to find. And the words of love I speak
0: to you will echo in my mind. So good. It's a beautiful song. And I think it's a fantastic closer for this album, too. Oh, I agree. It's, it's such a good, like, mellow love song to to close out the album, to kind of smooth things over. But uh,
1: once again, his drum work on this is stellar. It makes me want to go back and listen to his whole catalog to yeah. see what I missed. And this last song is so full in its instrumentation. There's a lot going on, and it's all him. Mm-hmm. He plays every Last note on the last song, and it rides all the way into the groove of the vinyl. It just keeps going. It's a perfect end to an almost perfect album. Yeah. What do you got? You got yeah, something? I was just
0: going to say, this is a little bit more of a technical note. Go ahead. But uh one of the reasons why this album sounds really interesting is because it was one of the early albums to use 16-channel recording. Ah. So it has, uh, they recorded eight channels of clavinet. That's a lot of eight. clavinet. One channel for the bass, three channels for drums. Kick overheads left and overheads right, which is a weird way to mic a drum set. Yeah. But they did, and it sounds pretty good, so might be something there. Two channels of vocals, two channels of horns. Uh, there is a fantastic article uh, about how they mix this album called uh, Mixing Stevie Wonder's Superstition by Joe Shamb- Shambro. Uh, from uh, Rochambo? Joe Rochambo. Uh, from either, I don't know if the website is called Live About or Live About.
1: Oh, oh that's tough.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're never going to hear that pronounced out loud, except on this podcast. So I don't know which one it is, but I will put a link to that in the show notes as well. <laughs> uh, lots of, lots of links in the show notes. Yeah. And I'm going to have to remember them all. I'm going to do, I'm going to do it. Right this, no, I already put it in my notes, typed it in. So now I just have to remember to go back through and look. So, but uh, that is it. That is
1: talking book. By Stevie Wonder. By Stevie Wonder. Kyle, I want to thank you for continuing to pick these mammoth records. You're welcome. I know they get plenty of love from the media because they are so legendary, but it's it's uh, it's fine for someone who considers themselves to be a music fan like me to get back down to the roots with these records and really explore them from head to toe. Uh, I don't think I've listened to this record, the whole thing, in maybe 30 years or mm-hmm. more. So it was like exploring some of it for the first time. Uh, this job that we're doing is really easy and fun when it's a record you know and love and have lived with for decades, but when it's one you are only mildly familiar with, it becomes difficult and challenging, and that's really where the most reward comes in. And
0: that's that's why I keep picking them, because there's a whole bunch of albums that I, I like that are I'm very familiar with that are good albums, but it's like... Eh. Why Why talk about this, though? Because I want to push well, then you pick, us. Thing you picked an Oasis album. So. I did pick an Oasis <laughs> album coming up. Uh, uh, I, pick, I picked that because I knew you hated it. You son of a bitch. <laughs> I picked that because it's going to make a very interesting episode. I yeah, think. it is. At last, co- confrontation. Yes. <laughs> so if you liked
1: this and would like to hear more, please go to our Patreon account at patreon.com forward slash audio judo and sign up for bonus content on that note we would like to thank our three newest patreon subscribers David Webb Darlene Willis and Jacob uh, I think I'm gonna butcher I'm gonna butcher this last name just Jacob Shiz, Shiz, Jacob Shep, hopefully I got that right I'm not sure
0: I believe it's pronounced shirtpansky
1: you could be right Jacob if you're listening. If we got it wrong, just let us know. Please. But thanks for your loyalty and your contributions. Uh, we will put that to good use. Attempt to keep delivering the best sounding product we can and hope that you enjoy the early access and additional content. Yes. How would they get a hold of us, uh, uh, Kyle? If
0: they want to talk to our books, the best way to do it is uh, probably Twitter, at AudioJudo. Uh, you can uh, tweet us or DM us if you follow us. Uh, you can also get in touch facebook.com forward slash audiojudo. We post a lot of content there. Instagram, we are at audio underscore judo or if you want to get in touch with us a little bit more directly email info at audio yep take care everybody and hopefully we'll hear you in a couple of weeks bye-bye or you will hear us
1: I think you'll hear us